I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking during the podcast about all things Certified Financial Planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world, and also we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. And welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And in today's podcast, we are talking all things certified financial planner professional related um, with a, a very special guest of mine, and that is Chloe Phillips from Pura Vida Financial Planning. Hello, Chloe. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Thanks for coming along. And today we are going to talk uh, everything, a lot, all about your journey into the financial planning profession and then on to talking about the juicy bits of how you got through your certified financial planner and in particular your financial plan assessment, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, let's start at the very beginning and give us a little potted history about how you got into the financial planning profession. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I suppose it's uh, like many others within the profession. I fell into I fell into <laughs> the pre- profession at a very young age of eighteen. So. Wow. Um, I would say, like many others, so I live in York, and there's a well-known life assurance company in, mm-hmm. in, in head office in York. And if you haven't worked there, well, there's a running joke, really. If you, if you live in York, you haven't worked there, there's something wrong. So I, I started as a in pensions administration um, from the age of 18. And I said I was, I, I suppose I remained in, in pensions, really, until, goodness me, until 20... Three, maybe twenty-three. Well, I was made. I was made. I was made redundant at twenty-one, and then I went to another company in Leeds as a pen, in, as a pensions administrator, and then that's when I was exposed to financial planning, uh, investment management, and the whole the whole process really. Because I suppose when you work for a life insurance company, you can you're kind of kept away from that. You just, you, it's more product-driven. Yeah. The yeah, you see plan. the kind of final end of it, don't you, in that Yeah, position. absolutely, absolutely. So um, that was my first experience, really. Oh, wow. And from there, that's where I started tackling the CII exams um, and everything else. And I, I, when I first became known of what a power planner was because I didn't know what one was up to that point and I was quite I was you know I was thinking I want to, I want to get into this how do I get into um into this profession and it was quite difficult so the company I was working for at the time it was such a good company to work for it was quite there was, well nobody left basically so there was never really any opportunities that opened up um and I just remember that was quite a challenging time at that point, because, and I'm sure many of the people have experienced, well, I know that a lot of people I've spoken to previously have experienced this. If you don't have the experience of a administration, like a full financial administration role, it's very hard to transition into a power planning role at that point. Um, 
And I remember speaking to a lot of recruiters and they would not, they were just saying, no, sorry, you need somebody with um, an administration experience of full financial um, planning rather than just pensions itself. Um, but I persevered and I I got through. I got through the door or somewhere that accepted me. <laughs> I managed Excellent. in the end. And um, yeah, so then I was in a power, um, power planning roles for a few companies. And then I fell into an accountancy practice where I quickly became a, a people's manager. So I managed, um, I managed a small team and that itself was... a again it was it then takes you away i suppose from the technical aspect and being a manager is a whole different mm, skill set skill set yeah i would say and um it was a huge learning curve for me and you know and it's 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 an experience that i had to learn a lot from it but then i realized as well that's probably not something i want to do either um so I was I was um I was a power planning manager and then I had my little boy Henry and whilst I was on maternity I um you have a lot of time amongst the sleepless nights and uh, <laughs> the the dirty nappies and everything else there was a lot of thinking time I had at that point and I thought you know what is this really what I want to be doing going forward is um our planning manager and everything else came back from maternity leave and you know the, the things naturally change as well with a company that you're working for and then I decided I decided to move on and I actually at that point I transitioned into a client facing role um so I know it's probably a bit of a whistle stop tour really I, I'm talking about this is 15 16 years of my life <laughs> that we're talking about here zooming through <laughs> yeah we're zooming through quite quickly and then, um, so doing that client facing role yeah. is that you know what was it about that role that you know apart from you know obviously transitioning from power planning to power planning manager and then going mm-hmm. right right round kind of full circle if you like to to kind of client facing uh, advisory what what was it that really kind of drew you to that it's the relationships um that you build with your clients and I feel it's such a privilege for someone to be open with you and talk about their finances their aspirations you know their dreams and everything else because money we've got to forget that money is still seen as such a taboo subject you know, you don't even speak to, do people even speak to their friends and family about money? Not always, you know, so it's actually someone to open up to you and say, this is really, you know, what I'm wanting to do and wanting to achieve. And after that honest conversation, I think it's an absolute privilege. Um, so that's what has, has attracted me to the client facing role itself. And also just being able to help people and put things in perspective and that it's not always... Um, you know, there's the, there's the numbers that come into it, financial planning, but it's also, it's very much behavioural as well, I would say. And that's something that I very much enjoy about the role in comparison to the power planning aspects that I was used to beforehand. That was more of, um, it was more of, you know, the, the file and things like that. But I do know, um, again, when it comes to power planning, there are amazing power planning roles out there that where you can be client facing to. So it, it's down to, again, it's the, it's the firm that you, you work for, but I never had that role when I was right. a power planner. Yeah. And so you, and during all of this time, 
you carried on gaining more qualifications. And then at what point did you think to yourself, right, I need to do the certified financial planner now? Yeah, so um, I had seen about the CFP for quite some time. Um, And so I became chartered in 2018 and went through all my arrows, went straight into the the advanced papers. Um, But I'm, I'm the first to admit I am terrible at time management when it comes to any sort of pension, any sort of exams or anything like that. So I was very, I'm very good at cramming. And I was very good with all the CIA exams is that I could literally lock myself in a room and just do, you know, just concentrate on it for two to three weeks and then sit an exam. Whereas I knew with the CFP and how challenging it was, it's, it's a, there is, there is a lot more to it than that. Um, and it's bringing all those parts together as well, all the moving parts of um, holistic financial pl- uh, advice rather than just one p- particular area. Like I'd say if you compare it to CII, um, one would just be pensions and then you go to one to just be tax and trusts, one would be something else. And it, it's it's putting everything together and how they all, how they all interlink, mm. I would say. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your experience, about what you went through. How did, did you have a particular approach that you decided upon before you did because I guess did you sit the level six exam oh I did I did you yeah so I, I, yeah. I sat that first because um I think the the route that's available now where if you're already chartered you can do um so yes. an assessment. assessment that wasn't yeah that wasn't available um okay. when I first decided to go ahead so yeah I did the, the level six that you crammed for then yeah, <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> I it was okay. I got through it, but that's, yes. this, this is this is what I mean. I'm very. I was naturally good at sitting in cramming exams. Um, okay. Yeah, and then I believe I didn't take the first opportunity to get the the case study at that point. Um, and then it was the following one after that that yeah. I um, I decided to bite the bullet, and, and yeah, so I remember when I got the case study came through and I was reading it all, I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and you're reading it and you get given um, 12 weeks, isn't it, from when you get your... Um, yeah, your 10 weeks, yeah. Case study. And then I went on your, um, your self-study course, which was yes. really handy because I think the most challenging part of it is the Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Well, the time management and the Excel spreadsheets and understanding all the formulas and how everything works together so I knew I I was very basic around Excel I would say um before then I and I actually have learned a lot from you know your self-study courses and I'm I'm hugely more confident in Excel now and use it in my day-to-day a lot more than I did previously no fantastic that's good to hear that's good to hear so you embarked on a course and you how did your time management go through those kind of eight to ten weeks that the course was running um a bit hit or miss pretty poor tracking (laughs) (laughs) um so i i had a little bit of um i tried a little bit but then to be honest like I said, other things got in the way. Um, and the next thing is I had two weeks to go. 
and I hadn't done very much, so I cr- tried the, my old tricks of um, cramming for two weeks. <laughs> you had a big and, these, and it was the, it was probably the most intense two weeks of my life. Um, and obviously, I'm a mum now, so my usual cramming techniques of locking myself in a room can't work because I've now got a child. I yes. have to look after two, um, so I was trying to work around that. And um, yeah, I, I ended up leaving huge gaps in my plan because of it. So it's my absolutely my own fault. I I think it was the protection element I completely didn't even touch upon. So I knew at that point I, I had failed. Um, but I know when we had our catch-ups, it's more of get written up what you, ha- you, you can possibly do now because it's better to pass one area than none at all. Um, yeah. So I think from memory, I did pass one or two, two I think, I think on my it? first yeah. attempt even yeah. though I had huge gaps um so yeah it was definitely a lesson learned in those first 12 weeks yeah and, and I think the advantage of taking that approach you know it we all behave differently and we all cope with our the you know the work in front of us differently but I think you know, for you, definitely passing those two areas, you know, that must have been quite a relief that you didn't have to go back to them and rework them. And, you know, you could just concentrate on those, on the next bits, on the missing bits, if you like. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I um, I was really, I was over the moon, actually, that I'd passed those two bits. I knew I was going to, I knew it was a fail. So the fact that I I was on the right lines, I think, and yeah. I, you know, I knew what I'd already achieved, it would it was I wasn't on the right path it was just filling it out filling the page without going into more depth and the, the things that were picked on where there were um, some discrepancies for me then to um you know go back and sort those out for the second submission yeah yeah and so did you change your approach for the second submission or did life take over again oh no so I actually um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so life does still take over. So what I actually did was I paid, um, I did pay for some like accountability. So yeah. what I actually did was um, is paid for to, to meet up. So over the 12 weeks at the end of each four week period to have actually got something done by into that four week period. Yeah. And that helped, but in a like, like fashion, I still was pushing it for the end of those four, every four weeks. It was still a um, cramming, but I think it's just breaking it up into manageable chunks helped. Yes, it, it can feel quite overwhelming when you're in the thick of it, can't it? Oh yeah, I think how many tabs I had open on my Excel spreadsheet it was um, <laughs> it was an in, it was an insane amount, absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, and then and then what happens? So you got to the end of that next window, submitted it for the second assessment. Yes. Yeah. And? Oh, I passed. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> and I think I cried for a good hour and a half and I got my results. <laughs> well, congratulations. Oh, Very well deserved. Yes. And how does it how does it feel now you've passed? Looking back on the process, has it changed you as an individual, do you think? Or changed your approach the way you look at things when you're giving advice to real clients now instead of these fictitious ones? Yeah, I think um in in a real life scenario now it's just it's making sure you, you when you're advising clients is it's in so there is in so much depth for you to do a true financial plan 
and I would say, you know, it's just just the way I work now. And it's just, I'm just so much more thorough and mm. um, looking at every single aspect. Yeah, and it's yeah. Um, it, it's really just opened you know, from my eyes and I'd say even down to like assumptions and things like that and just really paying attention to the assumptions that we use when we are building financial plans and are they reasonable? Yeah. Um, robust. Robust, yeah, absolutely. So, no, it has, it has, it has changed the way I work and it's given me the confidence, I suppose, as well um, when I'm giving advice, not saying that I didn't have the confidence before, but knowing to go through that process and then my, um, and putting all in doing a true financial plan and then getting through that and passing it, it just gives me, you know, gives you that extra boost really that you do know what you're talking about and you can, you know, give sound advice. Yes. And I do, I find that quite a lot with people and that, you know, particularly it's quite, it's quite demoralizing, isn't it? To fail the first submission but, you know, you knew you were honest with yourself and you knew that obviously with gaps in it, you weren't going to get through on the first submission. But I think, you know, you're right. It's a, clearly a validation of what you're doing now, because to to still have those you know big sections to finish and pass on your second submission is, is an amazing job. So um, and I think it's, you know, some people say it is it does change them as a person, maybe perhaps lets you see further down the track give to give more options to a client if they're you know they've got there are a couple of options of recommendations that you might make that you can maybe you know discuss them in a bit more depth or ask some extra questions because of the complexity of what you've been through mm, mm, yeah absolutely absolutely and so uh, of all how long do you think the whole shebang took you um but you know i guess for both submissions in total in order you know from the day that you got your case study to the day that you got your result do you have a feel for roughly how many hours it might have taken you mm, so so many i'm just trying to think now you know I, 200 plus maybe i just yeah i just remember thinking i and everyone's different i know how how they work but i cannot dip in and out of something yeah um so if I start, I'd have to do some really deep thinking and be working on it for a, a good few hours at a time. Yeah. Um, because I think I wouldn't be able to like nip in and out on my lunch break, let's say for an example, because it'd probably take me 20 to 30 minutes to get my head into where I was previously. Yeah. You know, it'd have to be some real, I have to, it has to be some really intense time that I'd work on it. And then, you know, for me to see any real progression, I would say, um, but that, that's just the way I work. But it was a, a lot of weekends, evenings. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I took use of my holidays off as well to, and, and things like that to make sure I got it over the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, all worthwhile in the end. Um, I, it's interesting, actually, because uh, I think probably the last four or five people that I've interviewed on the podcast who've passed their Certified Financial Planner submission recently they've all said about 200 hours. And one, the, there was one lady I was interviewing who passed on her first submission. And I said, to, I asked her the same question. And she said, I took 200 hours for my first submission. 
and passed. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is that other people who've taken, you know, perhaps two submissions to pass, they've in total, they've taken about 200 hours. So it does seem to be that 200, you know, kind of 150, 200 is about the right amount of time to, in total to get through the whole process. So, uh, it so it's interesting that you've, you know, you're in the same ballpark as well. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what tack you take or approach you take to it, <laughs> you're yeah. still looking at the same kind of hours. So, um, you know, let's talk about more generally in the financial planning profession, because certainly in my younger days, there weren't many females in the financial planning world. Um, I can remember going to my first financial planning conference with the IFP back in, I can't remember when, but pre-dinosaur days, I think. And there were three female financial planners at that conference, and I was completely shocked. So what's your experience been like as a woman, you're coming into the profession at, you know, uh, a nice ripe old age of 18, and then moving through and becoming a certified financial planner? Yeah, um, I would say I've definitely had the experiences of going to conferences and, you know, things like that that have been led by providers in the past. And I've always, I could count on maybe one hand how many women, uh, mm. you know, have been in the room. I would say there are different communities now. So, you know, we met in person, didn't we, at the yes. Next Gen Planners Conference last year so you know there's so many more there's so many more women that represent within that community so i can see it you know going in a positive direction but then you know there's still a lot of work to be had as well and i think it's if you're a woman and you're wanting to go into well come into this profession be a power planner be a you know financial planner or even administrator which you know, whichever role that's right for you, it's it's very much on the environment that you're working in. I think to how and how you're treated, and not everyone's the same. You know, I've worked I've worked with people that haven't been very accommodating uh, when it comes you know to, be, to having children, and um, for whatever reason, some because they didn't have children themselves. Uh, but then you know where I'm working now, we're all you know relatively the same age we've all got with young families and it's there's, there's a different approach and there's that having that empathy you know we always have a job maybe on a Monday that who's had the least amount of sleep because of you know if, if, with children so it's making sure you find the right company for your fit and um it's interesting we were talking about it at the um the Power Planet Club um a couple of weeks back with Sean and we were saying about, you know, what things should we think about when talking to potential employers. And it's like, you do need to make sure that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you because it needs to be the right fit. So if you have, if you do have a young family, you know, it's, it's to see how they would support you, you know, in that. And, yeah. um, and it's not to be afraid to ask those questions either, because if they are uncomfortable with that, then they're not the right for you. And you need to, you know, need to move on them to find somebody else. I know it's um, there's rules around it and everything. Um, yeah. But I, I would say we just, you know, it's just to ask as many questions as possible with when you decided on a firm to work for. Yeah. And I think, you know, for for some people it's difficult, isn't it? They find it difficult in a situation being interviewed, you know, through nerves or perhaps inexperience coming into the profession 
that they might want to ask these questions, but actually feel uncomfortable doing so, like you say. But actually, in the long run, it's better maybe to do a little bit of preparation before you went to your interview. Maybe just take a, you know, one of those little post-it note or something, um, pop it up your sleeve or hold it in your hand so that actually you can just prompt yourself to ask those sorts of questions and just, you know, pose it in in a way that Mm. you can, you know, try and be as open and honest that you're not expecting a particular response, um, but you're just inquiring about, you know, whatever it may be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know it's it's uncomfortable. I've had an experience where I didn't ask the right questions in an interview and I got the role um, and I accepted it because it was more money and I was there four months in the end because it was just the wrong place for me. And I just think if I'd had the nerves at that time so this is this is a long time ago now just to have the confidence to ask more questions and realize it wasn't for me I wouldn't have gone down that because for that for being uncomfortable for that one hour during that interview I then accepted the role was there four months and I was a lot more uncomfortable in those four months before I left than if I'd have just asked it in that hour's interview um well, and it, it can set you back, can't it? Because it can set, knock your confidence and yeah. also the time and effort to find another job. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. There are kind of longer term ramifications just for the sake of that, you know, one hour of pain, if you like. An interview. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I, it, it can be it can be really nerve wracking, especially if it's a role that you really want. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's trying to it's trying not to it's try not to worry and you know and how much better you'll feel about it afterwards once yes. you've asked those questions and got it open, yeah. out in the open and and you know it's been I've noticed over the last few years it's really developed um particularly in light of the pandemic in that para planners good para planners uh, particularly but as well as financial planners too are in such high demand aren't they mm-hmm. um so I think oh, yeah. you know it's not a case of you know you could bowl up to not quite any interview, but nearly any interview. And, you know, if you've got the range of qualifications that they're looking for, you could probably be offered the job, but that still doesn't mean that you should accept it. Yeah, no, well, that's it, absolutely. And I think, um, again, with what's happened since the pandemic, it's kind of catapulted, you know, us forward um, so many years when, you know, things can be done, how how we can do things now by Teams and Zoom and um, yeah. do we really need to be in the office all the time? So, you know, there's, there is a debate, isn't there, about, you know, should you be, can you work from home full time? Is it hybrid? Do you need, do you really need to still be in the office? And, um, you know, and I think it's, again, there's, there's so many more opportunities now where, especially with remote work, with um, power planners, you don't even need to be necessarily in the city where the role's for. You could you could be anywhere. But yeah. again, that's a, down to preferences. Some people prefer to be in the office. Some people prefer to be working from home. It's, you know, it's just having those opportunities. Yes. And, you know, the, you know, like you say, finding that culture fit, finding the yeah. employer or, you know, maybe helping going into partnership or starting a business that you, where you can provide that kind of support um, and create that right culture that, you know, suits you and, you know, can attract other people like you. No, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So what would you say to other women that are considering 
coming into the profession and maybe, you know, have had experience of, you know, being treated relatively poorly in the past, or maybe even those I've come across some recently who are actually thinking of leaving the profession because of the way that they've been treated. What would you say to anybody who's in having those kind of dilemmas going on at the moment? Yeah, I would say, the first thing I would say is reach out to others. Um, so there are, you know, communities out there where you can speak to other women. So I know it's like the empowered group. Um, there's like a fit, there is a Facebook group and being able to reach out other women within the profession and let them know what you're, you know, what you've been through. You can do it, you know, you can be anonymous if you want to, um, initially, because I know some people are quite nervous to speak about things in open forums, but then others will reach out and have a chat with you and listen to you. And, you know, for you to be able to have that sounding board. And that's what I love about the community is that you, you can reach out to anybody and have a chat with them and, um, you know, they can let you, you know, one, they'll give you empathy and listen listen to you, but then give you some sound advice of like your options and what you can do going forward. So I would always say is if you've been treated badly, definitely reach out to others. Um, also as well, if it is bad enough, then, you know, is it something that you need to, you know, look at um, advice on as yes. well? But yeah. from a, I would really hope that, nobody wants to leave the profession because they've been treated badly. Um, yeah. You know, that'd be absolutely heartbreaking. I would say that you need, um, you know, to reach reach out and um, don't give up. No. And I think I can remember somebody saying to me, actually, I think it was Michael Colfontaine, who was the chairman of the CISI, um, in a meeting we were talking about management styles and things like that. And he was saying, mm. you know, what, what's your why? Why, what do you love? about doing the job that you do why do you do the job that you do why you know what are your aspirations and what are you know why do you want to do those sorts of things in the future and you know if if the place that you're working doesn't fit with those things then that's you know that's not that's not your fault mm. that's up to you then to up sticks and find somewhere and you know your why can give you the confidence to ask those sorts of questions in interviews um, in order to find a right fit or maybe to, you know, as you say, to speak out um, to the empowerment group, obviously to the guys on Next Gen. And also Gretchen Betts has um, a female leaders um, a LinkedIn group, doesn't she? Uh, the Fem group. Yes. Um, we'll pop, I'll pop all the links to all of these things uh, into the show notes uh, after we've recorded. Um, but also she's do, she does uh, an hour, a confidential hours chat if you wanted to go and talk to her uh, online Zoom um, about any particular issues, all kept confidential to give women in the profession the support that they need. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. That's really good. And, you know, the same with the um, the Power Planner Club as well. You know, we yeah. are just exclusive to women. It's for anybody. Um, but again, you know, with many mentors um, and again, we can have the chat. And it's just, it is literally just reaching out. And because um, there is, we have, on the power plan club as well is somebody from every area within power planning so any question you have there'll be somebody with the answer um but that's that's what i love about the you know the profession and the community is that there is so many people want to help each other and just make the profession a better place as well yeah absolutely and i think that's that's probably one of the biggest changes that i've seen over the last nearly 30 years so 25 <laughs> years um is that sense of community and that everybody, no matter what you're doing, 
Um, you know, whether you're a planner or a power planner or administrator, everybody wants to roll their sleeves up and support yes. other people um, and, you know, help them into the profession. Because obviously we need younger people. We need mm-hmm. people like you, Chloe, and others, um, you know, coming into the profession and staying in the profession. You know, in 20 years time, you're going to be the ones who are in the position that I'm in now that are long in the tooth saying, oh, you know, looking back over the last 20 years, you know, what kind of positive differences have we made collectively mm-hmm. to the profession? And it would be great, you know, looking back uh, as far as I could look back, it, it it is improving. And like you say, still, you know, a long way to go. But let's hope in the next 20 years, you know, that improvement can continue. Yes, no, I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah. So we're nearly at the end of our time together. I could chat on to you all day, <laughs> frankly, but uh, I better shut up in a minute. Um, so let me let's just bring it back to the Certified Financial Planner and the Level 7 Assessment. And I'm going to ask you if you've got any tips that you could share with anybody who is thinking of going through the process, maybe in 2023 or maybe 2024 and thinking, right, well, you know, I've kind of got a feel now if it's 200 hours, whether I like it or not. But anything over and above that, what are the things, uh, any tips or things that you would want to share with these people? Yeah, don't leave it to last minute like I did. <laughs> so when when Jackie tells you that you need to leave two weeks before the deadline so you can read through your assessment, that's what you really do need to do. <laughs> Don't be starting it at that point. So that's um, I'd say time management is a huge, huge tip. It's you know you cannot un- just don't underestimate how long it is actually going to take. Um, Another tip I would say is, again, with Excel spreadsheets as well, get confident with those, with, you know, with your if statements, goal seats came in really, really handy. And setting everything out in a way where you can, um, you know, when you pick things back up, because obviously you're not going to tackle it all in one go, where you can pick things back up and you know where you're going straight away with it. So having different tabs for different areas as well, I found really helpful. And any notes that you've got, where if you, if you think about something, you're like, oh, that's another assumption I need to think about write it somewhere as in like your notes on your on your on your phone or you know somewhere on your laptop just so then you can you can go back to it and otherwise you like you might end up forgetting so i'd, I'd probably say those are the t- t- they're my three tips uh fantastic tips i think it, it it you know you were right what you said earlier there was some research that i saw that it does take about 20 minutes when you stop or be distracted from doing a big job when you get your head back into the game and you get back to where you were before so actually having it, having a little pathway and when you stop going, right, make yourself some notes for the next time I come back to it, um, is uh, that's a new tip I haven't heard before, but a really valuable one, I think. Thank you. Yes, excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> Chloe, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Jackie. Bye now. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's really interesting, isn't it, to listen to other people's points of view about different things, all relating to our wonderful financial planning profession. If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, please pass on our details to them. So that's it from me. Join me again next time when we'll be talking all things Certified Financial Planner related and also dropping in on our new entrance to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.